Okay, for our sermon today, it'll be brought to us by Bishop Barnabas Grayson. It is entitled, Be Ye Followers. Good afternoon. In the book of Ephesians, we see where the Apostle Paul tells us how to follow God, what attitude that we're supposed to have in following God, and seeing that the will of God is done in our life. In verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Be ye therefore followers of God, as dear children, that is, as disciples, as learners, as students, like in a class, and in our case, our class is, you know, life itself. Verse 2, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and has given him himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor or, or aroma or smell. So, as children, we are to imitate the Father by following the example of Jesus Christ because this is what the Bible has as far as lessons, as far as the steps that Jesus took while he was here on the earth, following his example of love. And we also, as students, as disciples, need to pay attention to the things that we hear or read in the Bible. Pay attention to those things and study. In verses 5 through 6, there's a listing of the things that the Father has said that we should not do. Uh, things that are opposite the way of love, like uh, immorality and idolatry, impurity and foolish talk and conduct. For such a person does not have any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Verse 6, Let no man deceive you with vain words, Vain words like false doctrines or strange doctrines or falsehoods. For because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. And we see a lot of those things today. People doing things that are obviously opposite the way Christ would have us walk. And we see that these things here that are listed are serious warnings. They're warnings that are put there for us to consider. And we've probably seen this Bible verse so many times in our life or heard, or heard them. Verse 7. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For we know that the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to do it. Just don't want to put up with good, sound doctrine, but go opposite the things that we see 
that is for our guide in life today. For you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. So in following Christ, we are to be children of light, to be clothed in light, to be casting aside the works of darkness and not following the deeds of the flesh. Verse 9, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. So as followers, we find out what pleases the Lord and we do those things that are pleasing in his sight by being doers of the word. Now, a Christian is a changed person. He has changed and turned his life around to walk in the footsteps of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in this day and age, it's sometimes often hard to do, to stay on that path. But verse 11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So by following Jesus Christ, we learned to follow God. A Christian is a follower of Jesus Christ and his teachings. A Christian is one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God and that he is the Savior. But some in today's world, it is hard to be a Christian and behave in a Christ-like manner. We let our guard down sometimes, giving in to our own human nature. And sometimes it is hard to do the right thing and to turn the other cheek, so to speak. But now, where does one learn to be a Christian? And what is Christianity about? We've had teachings from growing up from our parents and from others, uh, reading the Bible, hearing the word of God. And we begin those uh, early steps of becoming a Christian, of someone believing in God and, and Jesus Christ. I read that church attendance in America, according to a 2019 survey, that 29% of Americans never attend church. And that's compared to 23% that do. So attendance is down sharply the past two decades, it said, according to a Pew Research. And two-thirds of the people say they attend church for four main reasons. One is to become a better person. They attend church, one, to become a better person. So we can look at our life today, we can look at our intention today, we may see some of these, uh, one of these four reasons, or all four. One, to become a better person. The other is to introduce faith to their children. Bring the children to church, the young kids to church, so that something might just sink in. And they will not leave it as they get older. The other is to find a personal comforter. Because in our troubled life, in trials and things that take place in our life, we often need a comforter. Someone who understands our position in life and our situation in life, the things we have lost, the things that we need to do, we need to find a personal savior 
a guide to lead us on the right path. And the fourth thing is to grow closer to God. To grow closer in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ as it says elsewhere. So the guidebook to Christianity is of course the Bible that we have in our hand. Now 87% said have at least one Bible in the home. Some of us have probably up to 10 Bibles on the bookshelf and different translations and commentaries and dictionaries and encyclopedias. But there is at least 87% of Americans who have a Bible in their home. Over 100 million Bibles are printed every year. And the King James Version and the uh, NIV, the New International Version, are, are, top, are top in sales, according to Christian publishers. And according to these publishers, this pandemic has spurred Bible sales with people looking for hope and understanding and getting through it all. Interestingly, however, the Bible are the Bibles are overwhelmingly printed in China. To be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ, one needs the armor of God, especially in this day of adversity. And with this pandemic causing fear and death as well as political and social turmoil, unemployment, concerns of that sort, emotional and financial distress, you know, we ask ourselves, what next? But we know that, and we've heard in previous sermons, that these are all wake-up calls. Things that are getting our attention in some way, hopefully uh, helping us to change, to take a good look, introspective look at our life. We know that Jesus said, in this life you shall have tribulation, and have trials. There are things that are going to uh, use the analogy of, uh, of uh, tipping our bubble, you know, with the leveler. It's got to be right in the middle, and sometimes it just gets tipped. Or we get sidetracked, or we get upset. Things change our course in life, or seek to change our course in life. So, we're not to be, however, just following the ways of the world, but trying to adjust that level, trying to get back on track, trying to not let things get to us. And it can. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, verse 33, to awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God, and I speak this to your shame, said Paul. Be not deceived, Evil communications corrupt good manners. So don't be misled and get mixed up with a lot of the things that are going on in the world. Years ago, I was probably recited this to you once upon a time. I was 12 years old when uh, we had the altar call at church. What an altar call is at church. You know, you have the singers who are singing and there's a piano it's it's kind of a, a way of 
just getting into your mind and into your thoughts about looking at your life. And so the preacher is preaching at the same time that the song is going in the background. I remember this. It was at Vacation Bible School once upon a time. And uh, it, this was after, uh, it was at the end of the week, uh, Bible school. And I remember a Sunday school teacher saying that if, if you don't, so to speak, straighten up, you're going to burn in hell. And she compared it to, have you ever had a hot uh, nail uh, touch your fingertips? And that kind of got me thinking, you know. Even though at that young age, you don't know really what to repent of or what things you need to change. You just know you don't want to go to hell. And so there was a lot of sense being made by the preacher about turning to Christ, about doing things that are good in his eyes, in his sight, just believing in God and believing that you will be saved. So that was the altar call, and then you go down what some have called the sawdust trail. Some of you may have been down the sawdust trail. Uh, I've never really thought about why they call it the sawdust trail uh, since our church had wooden floors. And... So I compare it to like sand. You know, when you're walking on something soft, uh, you can't really hold your balance, really. It's just kind of hard to walk on a sawdust trail or in sand. And so that kind of made my knees weak. And it is as though I just, something was saying, you don't need to go and meet the altar call because something might have been pulling me back. But once I was... Uh, Started down that sawdust trail, I've, there was an experience that is really hard to describe. It was, it was a feeling that you're about to change and you're about to come before the throne of God. And so about five or six of us boys were baptized that week. But it meant something to us. We believed in God. We had been going to church for a long time ever since we were, I guess, knee-high to say a grasshopper, as they say. But we were learning about God, and so we made this commitment. Now, before becoming a baptized Christian, some of us may remember the admonition and the counseling of the minister who uh, referred to the words of the Bible that we should count the cost, that we should look ahead to see if we've got enough character, if we've got enough foresight, to meet what may come, to count the cost, what's, what's going to be the price to pay. Now, we know that there, this does not mean any monetary cost, but there is a price that requires us to consider how much we are willing to give of ourselves, to give over our life things that will be pleasing to God. In Luke chapter 14, Verse 26, it says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. When you think about that, it's a lot to give up when you're considering leaving you know, your parents or your family. And some of us, because in this Christian way of life, there were some things that Family and parents, siblings didn't think you know, we should be doing. But this word hate here 
just means to love less. Not literally hate or detest uh, the family or, or the self, but that is to uh, have loyalty toward Jesus Christ and, and not our own self-interest when there is a choice to have to make. For it says we ought to obey God rather than man or ourself. Now, there were large crowds that followed Jesus. But he had to make it known that being his disciples was going to take a deep resolve and commitment on their part to follow him. Verse 27, And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So whatever burden comes along in our life, we must, not, we must be committed enough to not give up on that path that we have taken. Verse 28, for which of you intending to build a tower sits not down first and counts the cost, whether he has sufficient to finish it. Less happily, after he had, has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all that behold it begin to mock him saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Verse 31, we see Jesus gave another illustration, counting the cost of discipleship. He said, or what king going to make war against another king sits not down first and consults whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that comes against him with 20,000. He sees he's outnumbered. So he has to really consider, does he want to engage uh, in a confrontation? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends an ambassage and desires conditions of peace. Probably a wise thing to do under the circumstances. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsakes not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good. But if the salt have lost its sa his savor, it's lost its taste, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. In Mark chapter 10, you know, with God it says all things are possible. And when Jesus was gone forth into the way, there came uh, one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Good teacher, what must I do to enter heaven, so to speak? And Jesus said unto him, Why call you me, me good? There is none good but one, that is, God. You know the commandments, verse 19. Don't commit adultery. Don't kill. Don't steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. And honor your father and your mother. So here Jesus recites these as commandments. He gives six commandments. But there is one in which, you know, it doesn't seem to fit the, uh, the way it is worded in the book of Exodus. And that is about coveting. The one on coveting is not mentioned, but we see these, uh, this command that Jesus said it was a commandment, defraud not. 
which means don't cheat, don't con, don't chisel, don't rip off, don't swindle. Things that people might do because they may be coveting or desiring, illicitly desiring uh, something that someone else has. So he answered and said unto them, this young man, this man, not a young man, but this man, he said, Master, all these things have I done since my youth up. Like him saying, Teacher, I have not broken a single one of these commandments, of these laws. So here was a man, much older now, who did good in his life and accumulated wealth and possessions. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way. Sell whatsoever you have and give to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me so Jesus saw this man had a need and he loved him but he saw one thing that this man lacked and it was that wealth was this man's God that he was going to have trouble letting go of so, but he told the man to sell his assets. All his achievements and earthly security and just give it to the poor. And this would remove that obstacle of trusting in his riches. And then to trust in God to obtain the riches of eternal life. Verse 22, but he was sad at that saying and he went away grieved for he had great possessions. And... We need to realize this is not a requirement for one to go and sell everything that he has and give it away in order to be a disciple and obtain salvation. But it was fitting in this one particular circumstance, this situation, this thing that was before Christ and the disciples. Then Jesus, verse 23, he looked around about and he said unto his disciples, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of heaven? It's hard for the rich to get into the kingdom of heaven, he said. And so the disciples, they were astonished at his words. They were surprised at what he's saying. Because it was believed in that day, as it is today in some cases, that riches were a mark of uh, godliness or God's favor. Due to hard work and whatever achievement was made, in this life, supposing that gain is godliness. So the disciples were astonished at his words. And Jesus answered again, and he said unto them, Children, here he's addressing them as children in a, in a uh, way that addresses their spiritual uh, immaturity. How hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? Verse 25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now this is a proverb that states really how impossible a thing it is to do. You have to sort of imagine a cartoon where, you know, they make the impossible uh, possible, where they make it happen. Picture that, it, it would be a, a humorous thing to say. And so they were astonished out of measure, 
saying among themselves, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, said, with men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all. We've left everything and have followed you. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that has left house or brethren or sisters or father or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. So Jesus recognized what the, his disciples had left and gave up to follow him. And in verse 30, but he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, with persecutions in the world to come, eternal life. So there will be blessings in this age, but that along with persecutions, things that uh, will be trials and afflictions. But the point is, there are things that one must give up in order to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Verse 31, And many that are first shall be last, and the last first. But this tells us that heavenly reward is not based on earthly standards, such as being like first in rank, or personal merit, or sacrifice, or time served in, in being a Christian, but on following Christ in love and faith and hope. Because, as it says in Revelation, here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to follow Christ, to be a Christian? 1 Timothy chapter 6. It says that godliness with contentment is great gain. Doing the right thing, keeping the commandments, having love toward God, and toward neighbor. That can give us peace of mind and rest. More than any material or, or money uh, can buy. These things, those things are temporary. For we brought nothing into this world. And it is certain that we can't carry anything out. And having food and raiment let us be therewith content. So in a sense we are looking at that scripture. We're, we're to partake of the word of God. Of Christ and be clothed with righteousness that is pleasing unto God. Verse 9, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all evil, while, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So it's the lust for wealth that is wrong. For it can lead to greed, idolatry, and corruption other, and other evil things. But you, O man of God, this is what it says to us, but you, O man of God, talking to Timothy, flee these things and follow after righteousness Godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. And fight the good fight of faith to lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto you are also called. So you called unto righteousness and also called unto eternal life. 
and have professed a good profession before many witnesses. In life, it takes the lifting up of the shield of faith to ward off those fiery darts of Satan that cause doubt, that cause fear, that cause all sorts of temptation and evil. John chapter 12, verse 25. He that loves his life shall lose it. And he that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Verse 26. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. So if any man serve me, him will my father also honor. So as a Christian, we want to be where Christ is, where he's going and where he will be. Wherever he goes, like the song you know, says, where, wherever he, uh, he goes, I'll go. And the time will come when we are literally there with Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. First Peter chapter 2. For hereunto... Uh, for even hereunto were you called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously, who his own self bear our sins, in his own body, on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. So we as Christians need to be on guard, to not be partakers of the way the world is going, and to be part of the problem in some way. And to love not the world, that is this age, or the things that are in the world at this present time. Philippians 3.20 tells us that our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are to follow that which is good in order to meet that time. Uh, 1 Timothy 6.11 says, You, O man of God, to flee these things that we uh, mentioned and follow after righteousness. Now, 1 Peter chapter 3, it says in verse 10, He that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no God. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it or ensue it for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you, if you be followers of that which is good? But, and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are you. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So when we follow Christ, we become servants of righteousness. 
and also as witnesses and examples. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. 1 John chapter 5, he that has a son has life. Verse 12, he that has a son has life, and he that has not the son has not life. So to live in the son, do his will, to follow his, his example, means life. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, uh, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat or food and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. So we see that he's also our rock today. Verse 13, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. These things have I written unto you that you believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Believe in the power and the authority. And this is the confidence that we have in, in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he'll hear us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. John chapter 5. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life. Verily I say unto you the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. For as the Father has life in himself so has he given to the Son to have life in himself. John chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loves not his brother abides in death. Whosoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has uh, eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our life for the brethren. Hatred we know stirs up strife and contention of all sorts and we have heard that in the time to come that lawlessness will abound and the love of many will wax cold. But Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. You know, not just inside this church building, but outside as well, to love one another as Christ has loved all of us. 
To live is Christ, it says. To die is gain. So we all want to live, of course, and we would rather not die, but our life must be in Christ, knowing that in the future that is to come, there is everlasting life waiting. So when we die there, uh, in a twinkling of an eye, we are awake. And we, right now as Christians, are a new creature in Christ. Romans 8 9 says that uh, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwells in you. But if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. So we cast off the works of darkness, not sowing you know, the seeds of corruption. Because verse 8, he that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that sows to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So as we have therefore the opportunity, as life comes along to us each and every day, as things present themselves, there's opportunity to, uh, to let us do good unto all men, especially unto them that are of the household of faith. It says in Ephesians chapter 2 where we began, it says, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. To follow Christ is to have kinship with him in the God family. Matthew 12, uh, verse 50, it says, Whosoever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. That means we are his family, a part of his family. The same as my brother, my sister, my mother. That's the kinship that we have with Jesus Christ. Romans 8 and verse 17, it says, If children, then heirs. We're heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Where we began in Ephesians chapter 5, just want to repeat the main part of this message that I would like to get across today in this day and age. To be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. To walk in love and to walk as children of light. And that's how we will get through these things that are troubling us today. And waiting for eternal life as our reward.